The Coram Deo Church Community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you're about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. The scripture reading for this morning is James chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your heart, your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. The word of God for the people of God. Well, man, great weather you guys are having here. So glad I live here. Why do I live here? There's lots of warm places I could live. Some of you are like, yes, amen. And some of you are like, don't knock on our state. This is what we do here. We just, it's weird, right? Um, hey, my name is Bob. I'm the lead pastor here. If I haven't got a chance to meet you in person, I'd love to uh, put a face with a name, get to know your story a little bit. So I'll be around up front afterward and just would love it if you'd come introduce yourself. Um, Every Sunday when we get together here, we, we open this book, the Bible, and we attend to it together. We like spend time hearing and listening and applying it. And the question is, why do we do that? Like, why do we give focused time and attention to this book? And the answer, friends, is because God is in pursuit of you. Like the God who created you, the God who made you, wants relationship with you. He wants you to know him. He wants to know you. And he's made himself known in the scriptures. This is his word to us. And so as we attend to his word, we're attending to the, the voice and the presence of the living God. Right? That's what we're really doing here. We're not studying a book. We're hearing God. And there are two ways that God often needs to speak to us as human beings. Sometimes we need to hear God's voice of comfort, right? A lot of what we need in life is comfort because all of us are insecure and discouraged and we go through seasons of suffering or hopelessness and we just need God's words of comfort. We also sometimes need God's words of challenge because all of us are also selfish and stubborn and there are places in our lives where we're just resistant to God. And so God speaks to us through his word, words of comfort and words of challenge. Today's text, as last week's text was, is more in that second category. James is speaking directly to us. The Holy Spirit, through this book of the Bible, has some direct things to say to challenge us. And so that's the category we're sort of working in this morning. And I want to remind you, where we landed last week, so we've been working through the book of James. We were in chapter 4 last week, the beginning of chapter 4, and the verse we ended on ends this way. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So in that verse, notice it gives us two categories of people, proud and humble. And it tells us one kind of person God opposes, the other kind of person God gives grace to. Now, I think as we reflect on those two options, pride and humility, most of us agree humility is the better option, right? Like we know pride isn't good. 
Humility is good. We should be humble. We should be more humble than we are. But I think also most of us view humility as a character trait that you either have or you don't have. Some people are just good at humility. Some people, I guess, aren't so good at humility, right? All the self-awareness tools that we have and that we use reinforce the idea that just some people are a certain way and other people aren't that way, right? So most of you guys in your vocation or just in life have done like the Myers-Briggs or the Enneagram or Clifton Strength Finders or whatever profile your company uses or your school uses, right? And these all reinforce that certain people are a certain way and other people aren't so much that way. Some people just naturally are inclined to certain ways of being, right? So Enneagram 7s, they're joyful. And Enneagram 9s, peaceful. Enneagram 2s are kind. These people are just good at these things. Others of us aren't because we're not that way, right? Um, I want you to notice that the three things I just mentioned, right? Joy, peace, Kindness, these are actually in Galatians chapter 5 as the fruit of the Spirit. What that means is nobody has a corner on the market on these things. All of us actually are supposed to become this way. These are incumbent upon us. God wants to produce these virtues in us, and humility is actually the same way. Like it's something God wants all of us to have. It's not just for some of us. There are not some of you who are just more inclined to humility than others. Actually, all of us are invited by God to pursue a life of humility. I want to show you something really interesting in the text of James chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn there. If you want to use the Bible, it's under your seat. You will find it on page 951. There are no slides for this part because I want you to look in an actual Bible. So now you can get it out, all right? So I want you to see this on the page. In James chapter 4, verse 6, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's a quotation from Proverbs 3. And then notice in verse 10, just down the page, it says again, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So in the nerdy world of biblical studies, this is what's called an inclusio. Think of it as like bookends. What it's saying by naming humility in verse 6 and humility again in verse 10 is that all the stuff in between has something to do with humility. And then if you look at the stuff in between, you will notice the verses are just packed with verbs, right? Submit, resist, draw near, cleanse, purify, mourn, weep. Ten verbs in three verses, just full of imperative commands. In other words, here is what God is saying to us in this section of James, friends. He's saying to us, there is a path to humility. Humility isn't just something you just wake up and have. There's a path to walk on in order to become humble. There's some things you and I can do to become the kind of people who are humble and who therefore God shows his grace to and to become less like proud people whom God opposes. And again, verse 6 gives you the reason why humility should matter to you because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So here's the question. What do you want from God? If you are proud, what you can expect from God is opposition. Like you can expect God to not 
show his favor toward you when you are hardened in your pride. On the other hand, when you are humble, God gives grace. God shows his favor and kindness toward those who are humble. And James is quoting this text in Proverbs to say, this is just the nature of reality. Proud people don't experience the grace of God. Humble people do. So it matters for us if we want to know God, if we want to have God's grace pouring into our lives, if we want to walk closely with God, it matters that we cultivate humility. Now, pride is the way of the world. I know that some of you are thinking of someone in your head and you're like, oh, I know people who are prideful. They're like that person, right? And the person you have in mind, generally, the characteristics you see are going to be sort of arrogance, what you might call sort of like arrogant pride. But realize that the essence of pride is just self-concern. There are a lot of ways to be self-concerned. It does not always manifest itself in brashness and arrogance and I'm the best. Some of you who are equally consumed with fear and worry about how other people perceive you and wondering if when you walk into a room, people are relating to you in this way or that way, that's just as much pride. It's self-concern. just takes a different form. And when you think about that, I think you inherently know pride, whether it manifests as arrogance or more in fearful ways, it's not what you really want to be like, right? You know that when you see pride in other people, it kind of repulses you. You know that actually what you want is to be a person who manifests humility. And so God wants to show you in this text the path, the journey to humility. I want you to see that humility is something you can grow in. There's a journey here God is inviting you on. Now, there's a famous monk from centuries past called Bernard of Clairvaux. He wrote a little treatise on humility, and he uses the image of a ladder, that you're sort of descending down this ladder into humility. Um, I'm going to use that same language or that same metaphor. We're going to talk about humility as a descent, as stepping down some steps into a place of lowness of humility, all right? So I'm going to represent them visually to you. We're going down the steps of humility in this sermon. And I mentioned there are 10 verbs. I'm not preaching a 10-point sermon because we might be here a little long. So I'm going to summarize those 10 verbs in these four steps. There are four steps on the descent into humility that God gives us in this text, and they are these. Submit to God, draw near to God, Come clean before God, get serious with God. Submit to God, draw near to God, come clean before God, and get serious with God. These are the steps on the path to humility. So let's look at them together. James chapter 4, verse 7. It begins this way. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. When you see the word therefore in a biblical text, it is logically connected to whatever comes before it. What comes before it in this case is God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit yourselves to God. In other words, he's saying, if you want to be humble, here's the first step. Submit yourselves to God. Now, we do not like the word submit. We don't like how it sounds. We don't like what it conjures up. From childhood, you and I are taught to question authority and to resist conformity, right? The important thing in our culture is for you to be you and not to care what anybody else thinks about it, 
and not to submit to anyone else's vision of who you should be. But if I can, let me just put a different spin on that for you, okay? If you live that way, if you buy into the cultural narrative that you belong to yourself and you shouldn't submit to anyone, you're actually being very submissive. You're just submitting to the dominant ideology around you. All it means is you're exactly the same as everybody else living in the world around you. You're just a product of your culture that says, you be you, just do your thing, right? You wanna be a rebel? You wanna do something really countercultural? Submit yourself to God. That's like the only rebellion left. We've tried everything else. The only way to rebel anymore is actually to submit yourself to God. So I want you to see, actually, this is an invitation to a very countercultural way of living. In a culture of radical autonomy and radical individualism and radical self-identification, submitting to God is rebellion. See, the essence of pride is autonomy. I'm going to make my own decisions. I'm going to chart my own path. I'm going to decide for myself. We may agree with the idea that God is in control of our lives, but when it comes to our actual lives, our real life in the world, we want control. We want to call the shots. We want to define what a good life is for ourselves. A proud person won't submit to God because they don't want to give up their independence. So the first step on the path to humility is to submit yourself to God, to come under his authority, to place yourself under his lordship. The word submit here in this text is actually an enlistment word. Many of you have served or do currently serve in the armed forces, and you know how this works, right? When you enlist, you submit yourself to a chain of command, and to a particular mission, you place yourself under some branch of government and ultimately under the commander-in-chief, and you know there's people above me, and I take orders, and I do what I'm asked to do because that's how this works. That's what it means to enlist. Likewise, what it means to submit to God is to enlist yourself in his cause, to say, all right, I'm submitted to this commander, this king, this ruler. He calls the shots. I'm signing up for his cause. And that, by the way, is why the second half of this exhortation is resist the devil and he will flee from you. Because when you, when you sign up for God's cause, when you enlist in God's work, you're also taking sides against the enemies of God and against the devil. And so in any kind of active enlistment, there's also active resistance, right? By signing up with God, you're signing up against the devil. Now, in our world, people ask me a lot, how come we don't see more sort of dramatic, demonic manifestations, supernatural kinds of evil? You know, like you read the Bible, Jesus is casting demons out of people. You watch movies, you know, there's all this dramatic, demonic stuff. How come it doesn't seem like that happens as much in America as it does other places in the world or at other times in history? Here's my simple answer to that question. Because Satan is a much wiser adversary than you think. C.S. Lewis famously said, hell is a conspiracy. And the first requirement of a conspiracy is that it has to stay underground. 
Satan doesn't need dramatic, demonic manifestations when he has you addicted to your smartphone. Or when through the culture of entertainment all around us, he's just in our lives 24-7. There's a lot of other ways the devil is at work in the world. And he's smart enough not to out himself with really obvious stuff in your life and in mine. So what it means to resist the devil is, yeah, to be aware and on the alert of clear ways that Satan is at work, but also using the language of revelation to have our eyes open to the way the whole system of the world is oriented around the powers of evil. If you read Revelation, which is literature that's designed to unmask, it's designed to unveil, there are three adversaries in Revelation. There's the beast, there's the harlot, and there's the false prophet. These three adversaries represent worldly power, economic power, and false religion. Those are three of the predominant ways that the kingdom of darkness is at work in the world. Right? Just look at broken systems and structures. Look at the power of economic forces and the power of false religion. There's all kinds of ways the devil is at work and that you're signed up to resist the devil. By submitting to God, you pick a side in that battle. So step one in the journey to humility is to submit to God. So here's the question for you. Have you willfully submitted to God? Have you come under his lordship? Have you intentionally, willfully said, here's the side I'm taking? Have you enlisted in his cause? This is the first step toward humility. It's something you can do and must do intentionally. Step two then is this, draw near to God. If submit is about lordship, draw near is about fellowship or friendship. Do you want friendship with God? See, proud people don't want to draw near to God because they fear being exposed. The nearness of God is a threat to human pride, which is why drawing near is a step down the ladder of humility because by drawing near to God, we're saying, turn on the lights in my life. Show me who I really am. Shine your light into all the dark corners of my being. See, the nearness of God is a delight to the humble, according to Scripture. Psalm 73 says, as for me, the nearness of God is my good. Humble people want God close to them because they're comforted by his presence. Proud people don't want God close to them because it's exposing and they have to admit what's there. So a step of humility is drawing near to God. Now, we like to reverse the order of this verse. We'd like to say, um, I'd find it easier to draw near to God if it felt like God was nearer to me, right? If God moves toward me, then I'll move toward him. But it kind of feels like God's distant. I don't really know how to hear his voice, and I feel distant and removed from him. Well, the order is this way for a reason. Remember, we're talking about the path to humility, right? The path to humbling yourself. Listen, if Warren Buffett called up, if Warren's people called up and wanted to get together with you, if Warren was just like, hey, I'd like to hang out this week, do you have some time? Most of you wouldn't be like, you know what, Warren, I got kind of a busy week. I got to go to the gym this week. I got to drop the kids off at school. 
There's some things I got to attend to. Can we just, like four or five weeks from now, I think I've got some margin. Just call my people and set that up. That's probably not what you would do, right? Because humility acknowledges when, when a figure who is important wants fellowship, I sort of defer, right? Like, I want to draw near in whatever ways they're willing to. Now, maybe Warren Buffett's a terrible example. Maybe you don't want to have lunch with Warren Buffett. Fine. Insert person here, okay? <laughs> Change the analogy for yourself. I'm just trying to connect with your Omaha life, okay? I was going to use the president, but none of you care anymore. I was going to use the queen, but then she died. You know, I, I don't know who the person is that you want to hang out with, okay? But the point is, pride says, I'm a very important person and others need to adapt to me. Like it needs to happen on my schedule and within my routine and in the ways that I want it to happen. If God wants fellowship with me, he should draw near to me in the ways that matter to me. Humility says, God is the most important being there is, and I'm going to draw near to him using the means he has appointed. I'm going to draw close to him because I know how he has given to draw close to him. You know what humble people do? It's not rocket science. Humble people read the scriptures. Humble people pray. Humble people worship God privately and publicly. They devote themselves to Christian fellowship. Why? Because these are the means God has appointed of drawing near to him. God has given us means by which we can know him and experience his presence. He's given us his word. He's given us his people. He's given us his Holy Spirit. He said, here's my word to you. Here's my presence with you. Draw near to me in these ways using these means. So humble people draw near to God. And that's step two of the journey to humility. Submit to God. Draw near to God. Third, come clean before God. Look at the second half, or sorry, yeah, the second half of verse 8. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Uh, in the original text, this verse has no pronouns and no articles, which means if you were going to translate it literally into English, it says this. Wash hands, sinners. Purify hearts, double-minded doesn't really make sense. That's why we've got to add some pronouns and some articles so that it reads well, right? But the point is the language is terse. God is just saying, hey, cleanse yourself. Purify yourself. In the Old Testament, there were rituals of purification by which people drew near to God. If you've read the Old Testament, this is probably one of the things that you've like immersed yourself in and been like, there are so many of these Rituals and rhythms and patterns and washings and ceremonial things people have to do in order to draw near to God. These rituals reinforce the idea that God is holy and that he wants closeness. He wants fellowship with his people. But when we draw near to God, we're drawing near to the source of all goodness. We're drawing near to the blazing sun of righteousness that burns up all impurity and all wickedness. So we draw near in a way that acknowledges our need for purification, for holiness. James here is likely vamping on Psalm 24, this famous psalm that says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, 
and does not swear deceitfully. Notice the focus there in the psalm on deceit. See, the proud person knows how to appear clean. Proud people clean themselves up not to draw near to God, but because they want to appear socially respectable. The Pharisees were experts at this, right? The religious leaders of Jesus' day. This is why Jesus says to them in the Gospel of Matthew, you wash the outside of the cup, but inside you're full of cursing and bitterness. What he's saying is, you're really good at shining up the outside so that people feel like they should respect you. It's just that inside you're full of all kinds of garbage. Proud people you see are double-minded. They want the benefits of holiness, but they don't actually want to submit to God. They want the appearance of respectability without real deep cleansing. Humble people, though, come clean before God. Not so that they can draw near to God, but because they've drawn near to him. Right? That's why the passage flows this way. You notice James didn't say, clean yourself up so that you can draw near to God. He said, draw near to God, cleanse yourself. Because the nearer you get to God, the more you're compelled that you want to be like God. That you want your life to match what God wants. You want the beauty of God. You want the glory of God. You want the moral goodness of God expressed in your life. So of course, as you draw near to God, there's a natural desire then for cleanliness and purity and holiness. So let me ask you a simple question. Where... And what are you hiding? Where and what are you hiding? See, God doesn't bless deceit. Deceit is a form of pride. And what we're prone to want to do is to say, here's the parts of my life I've already figured out. Here's the good version of me. I'm keeping back the stuff I don't really want you to see or know about. Right? All of us are really good at image management. But the problem is, whatever you're hiding from God and from others, you're deceiving God and others. Right? Um, I want to give you here a metaphor from my friend Will Walker, who will actually be here preaching James next week for us. And 10 or so years ago, he gave us this rubric that's been really helpful. He talked about sharing the last 10%. And the whole point is, we're prone to share like 90% of ourselves and hold back the 10% that we don't really want to talk about. And the problem is, if I'm only sharing 90% of myself with you and you don't know the other 10%, then you're getting a fake version of me, and so is God. And the whole point of this exhortation, James, is, hey, cleanse your hands, purify your hearts, like bring all of yourself into the presence of God. Not just the presentable parts of yourself that kind of you have figured out. Bring your whole self. Whatever the last 10% is in your life, let's get it out in the open. So God knows it. So the people around you who love you know it. And so that God can clean it and purify it and change it by his grace. This is a step of humility because to come clean before God means I got to acknowledge that I might not be the person you think I am. There might be parts of my life that I'm hiding or that I'm trying to hold back from God, right? I have to die to my desire for approval, for the people around me to think a certain thing about me. 
That takes humility. It takes humility to say, here's who I am. Here's the fullness of me, God. I want to come clean before you. So submit yourselves to God. Draw near to God. Come clean before God. And the final step of humility, get serious with God. Verse 9. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Someone needs to put that on a coffee cup (laughs) or like a piece of wall art, right? It's like hang it over your kitchen table. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Let's have dinner, right? Well, this is the language of the prophets. I mean, James here is trading on a long history of prophetic language dealing with the seriousness that God wants us to take sin. Joel chapter 2, the prophet Joel says this, yet even now declares the Lord, he's saying this to his people who have neglected him for years, yet even now, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. See what God is saying is, hey, don't do the external stuff. Don't give me like the torn garments that are like a sign of mourning. Give me the real thing. Rend your hearts. These texts in both James and Joel are not saying, stop being joyful. Don't ever laugh. Laughter is evil, right? Thank God that's not true. Joy is an essential part of life with God. What this is talking about is the flippancy and the unseriousness that comes with pride. Proud people are surfacy people. They don't have a moral seriousness about them. Everything is satire and sarcasm and cynicism and laughter. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 6 says this, as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. The writer of Ecclesiastes is saying there's a kind of person that just sort of like flits across the surface of life and treats everything flippantly. That person's a fool. Because real life requires seriousness and sobriety and depth and taking things seriously. James is saying the final step down the ladder of humility is to really feel the weightiness of sin, grieve, mourn, wail. These are words that describe seriousness and sobriety and a sense of somberness about what we're really talking about. Like if God is real and if life is really about fellowship with God, let's get serious. I don't know where you were on 9-11, but that's one time in my life in international history I remember this sort of settling in in a particular way. I was serving as a young college pastor at another church here in town. And one thing I remember about that season of our national history is the sense of sobriety and seriousness that set in for the couple weeks after those attacks. It was like kind of for a few weeks, our nation was humbled and things weren't that funny anymore. Like the late night talk shows just weren't doing their normal thing. The culture just got real seriousness for, real serious for a while. The church I was serving at was in a business park and so it was surrounded by all these office buildings. And uh, someone at the church decided, hey, one thing we could do and should do in this season is just to like open up the sanctuary for quiet 
reflection and prayer during the lunch hour. Like if people just want to come over at lunch and just like have a quiet place to sit and sort of just be. Let's just open up the church building and let that happen. And what was amazing to me is like lots of people took advantage of that like left their office at lunch hour and just came just to sit in a church building. Some of them to seek God, some of them maybe just for a place of quiet where they could just sort of get their bearings. But it was amazing to me because if I open up this building on Wednesday this week, it was like, hey, on your lunch hour, if you want to come and sit in here, it'll be available. I'm not sure a whole lot of you guys will be like, yep, that's what I'm doing at lunch. But there are moments in life, right, where that kind of sobriety and seriousness kind of settles in and you're like, that's exactly what I should be doing. What James is saying is that a mark of humility is a sense of sobriety about life and about God. Not in a way that makes you dour and pessimistic, but in a way that makes you sober and realistic, that gets serious with God. So what's the path toward humility? If you want to become humble people, what's the journey? Well, it looks like this. Submit to God. Draw near to God. Come clean before God and get serious with God. What I want you to see is humility is not a trait that certain people have and that other people don't have. Rather, humility is an orientation of life that results from submitting to God and drawing near to God and coming clean before God and getting serious with God. These are things you can do. These are things you must do. The language of Scripture is emphatic and imperative. If you want to be humble, you must walk this path. There's no other way to humility. It's not just going to drop into your life tomorrow because you wake up and suddenly you're a different Myers-Briggs type. That's not how you become humble. Humility looks like this. It follows this path. But here's the final question we should ask. Why would you do this? In a world that's driven by self-advancement and self-promotion and self-love and self-protection and self-sufficiency and self-reliance, in a world that's all about the self, why would you ever choose the downward path of humility? Well, because of the promise that's here in verse 10. Look at it with me. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. That's why you would do it. Because God says, if you humble yourself before me, I will exalt you. The promise of the gospel, friends, is that the way up is the way down. I mean, this is foundational to all of Jesus' teachings. This is why he said, in my kingdom, the last will be first, and the first will be last. The poor are blessed, and the rich are left outside. In Jesus' whole teaching, he's, you realize it's an upside-down kingdom. Like, the way that God does things is just the opposite of how the world does things. So look, if you want friendship with the world, if you want favor with the world, if you want a little meaningless existence right now, fine, chase self. But if you want to know the goodness of God, if you want God to exalt you, if you want to know the beauty of being loved by God and being honored by God, the way you get there is through the path of humility because God promises, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. The way up is the way down. Listen, 
if this life is all there is, then you should absolutely get everything you can now. Like you should live for yourself because this is all you're getting. You got to look out for you. Go get what's yours. Have the best life you can because this is all you have. That's how the world around us lives. If there's another life coming, and if in that life you will be exalted if you're humble, that changes things, right? That changes what you're living for. It changes the future you have in mind, and it changes how you deal with the right now. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Friends, why does God tell us this? How do we know that's true? How do we know that if we humble ourselves, he will exalt us? Well, because actually this is the very path God himself has walked, isn't it? Like what's being described here is the very journey that our Lord himself took. The scriptures tell us that Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, took on the form of a servant. He left behind the throne of heaven. He entered into time and space and history. He was born into a poor Jewish family in a backwater outskirts town in Judea came into this world in a very humble way, and then through his ministry and through his life and to his death, walked this path of humility. Jesus' whole journey is a continual descent, a descent to become human, a descent to serve and reject the earthly kingdom he was offered in pursuit of a heavenly kingdom that was to come. He descended all the way to death on a cross for you and me, gave his life, descended down into the grave. And then as a result of that descent in humility, the scriptures tell us God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every other name. The good news here is we're not being asked to travel a path that Jesus hasn't already walked for us. He has come low and given himself for us so that we indeed might be exalted as he is. The good news of the gospel is that when you reject the lie that you should live for yourself, when you actually follow the downward path of humility, you're walking in the footsteps of Jesus. And Jesus himself promises that as he was raised from the dead and exalted to the right hand of God, so you too will be lifted up with him and honored because of your choice to walk in his steps and walk in fellowship with him. This is why everywhere that Christians gather, every building in the world where a church gathers, there's one of these, a cross. Because Christians gather under the sign of the cross. Why the cross? Because the cross is the sign of ultimate humiliation, right? Can you imagine this? This is an instrument of torture. It's like hanging an electric chair on the wall and saying, let's all gather here. It's just weird. Like this is what the Romans used to kill people. This was the ultimate sign of humiliation and nothingness. And we put it on our church buildings and say, here's where we gather. This is where we gather to worship God under this sign of ultimate humiliation and degradation. Why? Because this is what the kingdom of God is about. This person who died on this cross is actually the rightful king of the whole world. And one day he will exalt his people with him. That's why we walk the path of humility. 
That's why James issues us this invitation. What he wants you to see is, hey, look, this is the path Jesus walked. This is the life Jesus calls us to. And this is the future glory that we're going to enjoy with Jesus. And so you should delight to submit to God. You should delight to draw near to God. You should delight to be cleansed and purified by his grace. You should delight to get serious and repent and be humble about your sin. Because if you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. So let's pray, friends, that God would give us the grace to walk this path together. Jesus, we worship you as our humble Savior, as the one who left behind all of your glory and came into this world to save a people who didn't deserve it. And thank you for this word that you give to your church, inviting us to be humbled so that we might be exalted. God, we confess this morning that we want to live in the low place. All of us are proud. We are human and we are given to our own self-will and self-love. So would you come and meet us this morning with your grace? Bring us deeper into this journey of humility. And thanks for the promise that when we humble ourselves before you, that you will exalt us. Give us the grace to believe. Give us the grace to rest in that good news. And give us the grace to be people and to become people who are marked by humility. So help us continue this downward journey this morning as we once again gather under your cross and come to your table. Make us humble people for our good and your glory. Amen.